This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Jason Burns and Access Church in Lakeland, Florida. For more information, visit access.tv. Okay, here's the deal. Uh, when, you, when you're trying to, to reach God, there, there's something from Scripture that you got to know. It's your move. You're as strong in the Lord as you really want to be. I'm not in great shape. You look at me and you think, wow, he's in incredible shape. No one's thinking that, right? But I'm as in good a shape as I want to be. I, I used to do the Stairmaster and then they moved it upstairs at the health club. I'm not going up there to do that. And I, but I'm as in good a shape as I want to be. You're as close to the Lord as you want to be. So if you're dormant, it's not the church's fault. It's not your busy schedule's fault. It's not your spouse's fault. Really, it's your fault because the Lord wants you close by. He's not mad at you. He's not trying to yell at you. He loves you and he wants you around. So let's grow in Christ, amen? Come on, somebody in this place. Let's grow in Christ. Okay, here's the deal. I'm a Cajun from Louisiana, and, uh, which means that we'll eat anything that lives in a ditch. Does any, anybody like Cajun food here? All right, there's some real Christians here. I like that. And, uh, but I, I just want to say is I, I get to travel around and, and look at different leaders in the church. Uh, every now and then you'll run into someone that you can tell they are a real pastor. And I just want you to know the hand of God is on this church. And I came from Arkansas to ask you, please don't mess it up. And uh, because I love your pastor. I've been spending some time with him. And uh, he talks about this church with a lot of vision. He's got big vision. Can I have an amen? If I were to tell him, look, I'm tired of hearing about it. He would say, let me just tell you one more time. Because God has given him a big vision. And he has a big heart for this church. And I love his family. They're all serving God. Come on, how valuable is that? And they hold the word sacred. And there's, there's other things about this church too. I like the way you guys value a soul. I want to tell you something about my, my daughter. I've told people this all over the world, but I have four kids. They're all married now. I have grandkids. I had four grandkids or four of my daughters. I have two daughters and two regular daughters, uh, two regular daughters and two daughter-in-laws. They all got pregnant in 2023. I have so many grandkids. I don't even know all their, their names now. I gave them a number. Like we had number eight at, uh, a couple of months ago and number nine will be here in March. Uh, but when, when you're raising your kids, you're going to find out some of them have a strong will. Raise your hand if you're strong willed. Okay. If you raise your hand, you only raise your hand because you want to raise your hand. Cause if you didn't want to, you wouldn't have, right? My daughter Haley, when she was four years old, uh, she was watching a Hallmark movie, which is depressing all by itself. There's two kinds of movies, good movies and Hallmark movies. And, uh, but she was watching this teenage girl was running away from home. She was watching it with my, with my wife. And, uh, and she, she thought, I want to run away from home like this teenage girl, but I don't, I don't want to do it because uh, I can't really do it because my parents are always paying attention. So I'm going to have to go at night when they're sleeping, but I don't want to go alone. So I'm going to bring my two-year-old brother with me, which means I have to pack the wagon of diapers, which means I want to bring my dolls and you got to have Skittles because you got to have candy to travel, right? And she, she did not have an alarm clock, but she woke up. Her will so strong. Her will woke her up at two in the morning. It's time. 
And she goes to her little brother's room, tries to wake him up. He says, leave me alone, I'm sleeping. She called him a loser and left. We were sleeping, she left the house, she went to the wagon and she walked out of our house. We lived in a cul-de-sac right next to Randy and Amy. They were there and they didn't do anything to help. And, uh, and so she left and she went to the end of our road and then a right and then another right and a left to, the end, to, the, to a four lane highway. And we were sleeping. She had her nightie on, she was pulling this wagon and uh, she, she had her dolls in it as I already said. And she took a left on that road, walking down that road. A lady saw her and pulled over and said to her, so young lady, what are you doing? She goes, I'm running away from home and this is so much fun. <laughs> and then my, my, this lady said to my daughter, she goes, is everything okay at home? Yes, ma'am, I'm just on an adventure. Give me a break, right? And she said, listen, you need to get in the car. I'm gonna take you home. And my daughter said, I'm not allowed to ride in a car with strangers. <laughs> but you can walk up and down this road. And so finally, Haley, being a strong-willed girl, decided to go home. And this lady followed her all the way back. We were asleep, didn't know, know anything about it. And there was a knock on the door and we went to the door and it was this lady who I didn't know and my daughter who I do know. And, uh, <laughs> but I, I put all the pieces together. We tried to thank this lady. We, we gave her stuff like our car, things like that. <laughs> And then she left, we walked inside and I just started staring at my daughter. Okay, that's the end of the story. But here's what I noticed. If she wouldn't have come home, I would still be living in that cul-de-sac in Zachary, Louisiana. I'd still have a landline. And when the phone would ring, I would run to the phone. I wouldn't say hello, her name is Haley. I would say, Haley! But here's what I want you to know about this church. I would pick friends to help me find her. And thus you have the church. The role of the church is for you to grow in your relationship with God, but for you not to forget about the harvest that needs to be here and always be thinking about who's a lost little girl or a lost little boy, someone who used to serve God, someone who used to walk with people who love God with all of their heart and something happened and a phone call could bring them back, but we've got to make a call. Can I have an Amen. And that's this church. That's the reason why they work so hard. The worship, would you give them a hand? Come on, the worship here is fantastic. And the way that Pastor Jason teaches the word. So when you show up in a church, a lot of times it's like triage. You, you're in trouble and you need help. And then without even knowing it, somehow you become like a part of the family. And, and a lot of people just stick there because it's so powerful to feel like you're in covenant with someone else. But if you stop there, you're gonna die because God wants us to be a part of the army. And the army gets up every day and says, how can I fight and grow in my relationship with the Lord? And those are the type people that go to revival night. And you're here right now and we're gonna learn the word because God has big plans for all of us, amen? And by the way, if you don't think he has a plan for you, I get it because I'm in ministry now, maybe you'll never be a pastor, uh, but you are called. And I just want you to know that I struggle with that, my calling. And the reason I do is because the church I grew up in was a very judgmental church. During worship, I was thinking, if I would have grew up in this church, I would have been so strong. But I didn't. I grew up in a very legalistic church, uh, very mean. It was a prerequisite that you had to hate people if you went there. The meanest person there was my Sunday school teacher. She told me every Sunday morning at eight years old that I was going to hell. 
She talked about hell like she was born and raised in hell. And she could touch me from the front of the class. She'd say, you're going to hell. Hell is hot. Hell is hot. Don't you want to go to heaven? Not if you're going to be there is what I told her one day. So we didn't have the best relationship. But, but here's what still happens to this day is that I didn't think God wanted me around for years. And it still kind of shadows me. And, and, and then the Lord called me to be in the ministry. Let me ask you a question. At eight years of age, how, how much do you think and how strong do you think my prayer life was? If I didn't think God wanted me around, do you think I read the word? When I did, it would put me to sleep quickly because I didn't see it as anything powerful for me. I thought God wanted me out, not in. And now I'm in ministry and I just want to be as clear as I can. I don't think I was the best pick, but I still have a lot of confidence and I'm going to tell you why. Because I know he picked me. I don't think I'm a good pick, but I know he picked me. And what I'm hoping that happens in this session with you right now is that you will realize God's picked you for something great. And you don't have to wallow around in the shame of the past. Can I have an amen? Lift up your eyes now and let's see what God wants to do now. There was a guy in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 6. And all this is for free. It's not what I'm preaching on. But this guy was cutting down a tree and he lost his axe head, his cutting edge. And he called Elisha over and he said, Elisha, I was, I was, I was doing some work, but I lost my edge. And that's a huge move because if you lose your edge, a lot of times what you can do is just keep swinging, but the vibration alone will kill you. And then no chips flying and no results. And some of you are in that cycle. Like you say, I have 20 years experience with God, but really it's like one year repeated 20 times because you don't have your edge. And Elisha called him over and he, or he called Elisha over and he said, Elisha, I got a problem. I lost my edge. And Elisha said something really powerful, and I'm going to bring it to you right now. He said, where did you lose it? Where did you lose it? And he told them. And they went back and got it. So my question to you as I set this talk up, do you have your edge? Are you at the peak of your relationship with the Lord right now? Because if you're not, that's what revival night is all about. Amen? And let's get back our edge and let's... Let's move forward because we don't have to just keep swinging without any results. He wants to use us in a big way. Everybody say amen. Look at this verse. Psalms chapter 116 in verse 12, it says, how can I repay the Lord for all the good he has done for me? And I'm going to take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Right now, let's put our hands together for Jesus. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, church, let's worship him. He's good. So what I want to talk to you about, I'm just going to lay this out as clear as I can. I want to talk to you about the cost, the real cost to serving the Lord. The real cost to being in a church that is faithful to God. The real cost, the real cost. Because there is a real cost. And I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. But as I, got, I get older, uh, sometimes I still get excited for people. 
But I often wonder, do they know the cost of this? Like if someone comes to me and said, Pastor Rick, I'm getting married. I would be like, that's awesome. But then in the back of my head, it's like, I hope they know the cost. <laughs> or someone comes to me, I'm going to have a kid. You know we wanted to have a kid. And it's like, that's so good. I hope they know the cost. Or someone comes to me and says, I'm going to start a business. I got a business partner. We're going to start it. We're just putting everything into it. We got big dreams. I'm like, this is great. I hope they know the cost. But as time has proceeded, here's what I've learned. It takes a lot of cost to get up every day and serve God, open up his word and to pray and to seek him. It's a cost. But what you may not know is the contrast of that. There's a cost not to. There's a cost to being faithful in a church and giving to that church and, and being a part of that church where if they, you didn't come, they would notice it. It's a cost, but it's a cost not to. It's a cost to say, I'm going to have strong convictions and I'm not going to compromise. It's a cost to do that, but it's a cost not to. And, and I've learned through the years that having integrity is a cost to it, but there's a cost not to have integrity. So the Lord is really not asking for you to do anything that's just about payments. It's, it's like the alternative and the pain that is associated with that. And some of you could preach on that even better than me. So the context and the text for tonight is in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25. Let's look at this. Now look here just for a minute before I read this. What I'm about to read to you, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's one of the most bizarre scriptures. And if you don't study it and really drill down into it, uh, it can be discouraging because there's a few things in here. It's like, what is, this is just too much. So let's look at it. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Now let's stop right there. Preachers like to do this and we dissect the word. Large crowds. There's a large crowd here right now. And large crowds were traveling with Jesus, but it doesn't say followers were traveling with Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, but it doesn't say the gates of hell cannot prevail against crowds. There's a big difference between a crowd and a church. It doesn't say followers. It says crowds. There were always crowds following Jesus. And then he would say something like I'm about to read. And then many of them would just walk away. One time he had 140 people with him and he said something really intense and one by one they walked away and they said, this is way too much. We can't do this. And then everyone was gone except for a few. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, just think about it. Our Lord and Savior, he looked at him and he said, you're not going to leave too, are you? He said, where else can I go? There's no other place to go. So Peter got it right. He always got it wrong, but he got it right right there. And then the crowds, let's go back to this. And turning to them, he always likes to look right at us. And he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Randy, see, this is scripture for why I hate you so much right here. And uh, <laughs> brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now look at me. How can the Lord say we got to hate our brother and sister, our parents or whoever? He's not saying that. He's not saying that he wants you to hate your life like he mentioned. 
No, if you look at it and see who he was talking to, the text right before this and after, he was doing a contrast study. He was saying, if you really want to be a follower of me and not just traveling around my name, then the difference is you're going to love me so much that the contrast of that, there's no, there's no comparison because you're fully in, you're in love You're in love with me so much that you love these other things, your children, your family, yes. But Jesus is what you really try to put in the center of everything. Can I have an amen? Like a lot of people, if I ask you to make a list of what you think is most important, some of you would say, number one is Jesus, number two is my family, and number three are my friends, and number four are my hobbies or work. But Jesus doesn't want to be number one on that list. He wants to be number one in every category. Number one in your life, number one at work, number one with your family, number one with your hobbies. He wants to be the center of it all. Can I have an amen? So when you run into someone where they decided, I'm going to serve the Lord with all cost. They never look bound. They never look discouraged. They always have the joy of the Lord. It doesn't look like a grind for them. They're just all in. The strongest believer that I've ever met in my life, and Randy would confirm this, it would be my my grandma, Mama B. And this lady, she would win more people to the Lord by accident than most people can deliberately. We're Cajun people, and she had such a Cajun accent. She would answer the phone, Jesus loves you, I know that for sure. That's what she would say. And when you would go to her house, she'd be out on the front porch just waiting for you. And this is way before Life 360. She would just wait. Like, I don't know how long she was there. Might have been three weeks. I don't know. But then when you go to leave, she would just wave until you disappeared. But when we started our church, I needed someone to pray for us. This was 23 years ago. So I called her on the phone. I said, Mama, I know you don't feel well because what was going on? She had cancer and she was down to close to 100 pounds at that time. I said, Mama, in a few months, we're going to start our church on February the 4th, and I'm nervous. And I just want to know if you could come to our first service and lay hands on me and just pray. I know if you did, it would be so good. And she said, oh, Rick, I'm so sick. I haven't left the house. She said, I can go, but I'll pray from here. I didn't want her to feel bad, so I interrupted. I said, it's okay, Mama, you can pray from there. It's good. Oh, Rick, I'll just pray from here. Oh, Rick, I just love you. I'll pray from here. February the 4th, two months later, it was about 10 minutes before the first service, and there was a knock on the door. And I said, come in. And it was my frail, sick grandmother. And she had a big smile. Oh, Rick, I just had to come. And she went over and put her arms around me and prayed, and I felt the Holy Spirit with me. But when she left, later on that day, I was thinking about the first service, and I was thinking the cost that she paid to travel six hours, even maybe seven hours from Baton Rouge all the way to Little Rock, the cost, it didn't look like a cost on her. It looked like a blessing because she's so full of the Holy Spirit of God. So I want you to see this sermon in a way that my grandmother could probably see it. I I want you to see that the Lord wants an intimate relationship with you. He wants to speak with you and show, show you some things about your life. And I don't care what you've done. You may say, well, you don't know how many mistakes that I've made. 
Listen, the Bible says for the joy, he went to the cross to destroy shame. It's one of his favorite things is to destroy shame on our lives. He doesn't like when we wear it. And some of us, we wear it every day. So I think my grandmother would say, would say this, like if the Lord was here right now, he would probably grab some of you by the face and say, listen to me. I love you. I want you to grow. So I'm going to give you four things that really develop our relationship with God. It's like when I was raising kids, there were times where I'd give them a tip of the day, like don't run through the living room or close the door or don't forget to turn off the light. But there were other times where I'd call them up to me and grab them by the face. Do you want, look at me? And they will not. A four-year-old will not look, look at me. And they look everywhere. <laughs> and then you just tell them, say, listen, do you want me to do to you what I did to your older brother? So I don't have an older brother. See? You see that? And then you tell them, listen, you got to listen to me. When the ball goes out in the street, you can't run out there and get it. This is, look, look, do you get this? And this is what I think the Lord is doing right now. He's just trying to grab you by the face. Say, listen, you got to get this. This is the way I wrote this. So number one, the cost to love the church and Christ. It doesn't look for a bargain. Is not looking for a bargain. The rich young ruler is a good example of that. Rich young ruler ran up to the Lord, sort of like we did in worship a while ago. He ran up to Jesus and he just starts saying, you're amazing. I just think you're the best. And Jesus said, why do you say that about me? He said, I just do. And, and Jesus turned to him and he said, he said, listen, you, you're going to have to obey my commandments. And the rich young ruler just immediately in the moment where he could have grown in the moment, he started lying. Because he said this to Jesus, he goes, I've obeyed all the commandments all of my life. Well, that's not true. One of the commandments, in fact, if you're here right now, if you've ever lied before, would you raise your hand? You broke one of the commandments. And if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying now, and God's gonna kill you. <laughs> Hell is hot, you're going down, right? <laughs> so he lied. If you ever disobeyed your parents, even one time, have you ever put one thing in front of the Lord? Um, like the very first commandment? First one is have no other gods. The second one is have no idols. Very similar. The third one is doing anything to disrespect his name. The fourth one is about a Sabbath. And the fifth one is about relationships with your parents. And it goes on and on and lying and murder. And when you covet something else, this guy wasn't being authentic. He just wanted a relationship with the Lord without being honest or that he didn't want to look at the cost. It was sort of a cheap, quick relationship. So Jesus looked at him and he said, all right, if you want to follow me, go and do this one thing. He just mentions this one thing. And the rich young ruler, which we don't know his name. We don't know why he was rich. We know he was young and we know he was rich, but we don't know anything about him. All we know is that he said, that's too hard. That's too much of a cost. And the Bible says the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus with his head down, extremely discouraged, in despair, because the cost was too much for him to obtain. He wanted to follow Christ, but with no real cost. Now, why is this huge? How many of you believe that this, this may be the last days that we might be in them? You don't know for sure, but it might be, okay? If you study the word, 
there's an argument that we are there. I'm not going down that path, but I find it very interesting that when Jesus was talking about these days, uh, the disciples were constantly saying, when, when are you going to come? When, 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 when? And Jesus never said when. He said, watch. And they would say, okay, we'll watch. But when, 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 watch. Okay, we'll watch. But when, when? And the reason why is because if you knew when, you would cheapen your daily relationship right now. Let's say you found out he was coming back on March the 31st. Can you imagine your relationship with the Lord around March the 15th versus now? How about March the 20th? How about the 25th? How about the next day? How about the 30th? You would get stronger and stronger in your relationship with the Lord because you knew when. God doesn't want you to know the when. He wants you to watch, to serve him, to grow in him. And I love the whole fact that one of the things that he said, watch out for, he said, watch, because in those days, the love of most will grow cold. And if you look up the word most, it actually means the majority. Hope I'm not going too fast for you. So bare minimum, that's 51% of the love of people who really, for, the, for their love for Christ, it's gonna grow cold, 51%. I hate those stats. So when Michelle and I travel, and uh, we, I have to travel here and there, and, but when we do, I'm, I'm notorious, and so is Michelle, everyone is, to leaving something in the hotel room. Raise your hand if you ever left something in a hotel room. So I have an antidote for that and it works really well for us. We get all packed up and then we walk around the room. Michelle doesn't like this drill at all, but I like it. And so we walk around the room and we say this out loud. I'm leaving something. I just don't know what it is. But I know I'm leaving something. Oh, I wish I knew what it was. I just don't know what it is. And I'll find like uh, my phone charger or sometimes I'll find actually my phone. Uh, one time I found my wife, so cool. And I just want you to know that this whole watching thing, it's like, I'm forgetting something in my relationship with the Lord. I just, I don't know what it is. And number two, the cost to love the church, to love Christ. It's daily, it's not one moment in time. So to break this down to you, I'm teaching you a little bit about this whole cost thing, but there are two words for the word word in the word. One is the word logos, which means the written word. So the written word is not powerful by itself. It only becomes powerful when it's logos, the other word for the word in the word. And, and it, the, the first one is logos and the other is rhema. And the word rhema, what it means is it means like it's no longer just written. Now it's a revelation inside of you and you, you want to move that way. And it's like daily God wants to, daily, every day. In the Old Testament, he gave them enough manna for that day. But in the New Testament, Jesus prayed, pray that you'll have manna every day. For this day, the Lord to give you the manna for this day. If I were to ask you, what is the greatest thing that Jesus did when he was on earth? It wouldn't be anything, one thing specific. It would be that he came and daily, the scripture says, he pleased his father in everything that he did. So my question to you is, how, how is your relationship 
with the Lord daily. Now, this is how it applies to me. I, gave, I got saved in 1981 and uh, at a service at nighttime on Super Bowl Sunday, 1981. The preacher there was Bill Bozonski and he had an altar call and, uh, and I was the only one that responded to the altar call that night. And it was just a real powerful experience. But my uncle Randall, he called me the next day and he goes, hey, I want to mentor you your first year. So he said, you're just going to have to be honest with me. I'll walk through life with you. He said, look, every man's going to fall one of four areas. It's either going to be girls, glory, gold. And then the last one that he added somehow, he didn't say this word, but it was getting high. Girls, glory, gold are getting high. He said, so tell me, which one is your weakness? I said, I think it's all of them. And he goes, okay, okay, we got a lot of work to do. Okay, all of them. And uh, he goes, but which one do you think you're most vulnerable to? I said, you know, I think it's getting high. Because right before, I don't know why that's so funny, but (laughs) your pastor is cracking up about that. So what happened is, is that he said, he said, good, thanks for telling me. If you'll seek the Lord every day and let him know how vulnerable you are in this that if it ever happens, you'll be strong. So every morning I would say, Lord, I know where I'm weak. I know where I'm going to fall. I ask you to protect me. It was a whole year, if I remember correctly, that I was praying that way. And one day I was putting gas in my car and I dropped my keys and they landed on top of a rolled joint. For those of you who don't know, that is marijuana. And when I saw it, my first thought was, Praise God. That was my first thought. My second thought was like, you remember how to send. I took it. I put it in my pocket. I looked around, got in the car and I started driving down the road, rolled down the window two inches and I punched in the cigarette lighter. I put it in my mouth and I was just waiting. And then all of a sudden I remembered this is the, this is a setup. Like if I smoke this joint in this car, There's no way I'm going to be as high away from Christ as I am with him. Before I knew it, it was like the spirit of God strengthened me. And I rolled down the window the rest of the way and I threw it out the window. And it was so such a powerful moment. I told that story one time and a lady said, you're not supposed to throw stuff out the window. And I said, well, it's better than being illegal smoking pot in a car. But Listen to me. I'm going to say something to you that I can't say really at my church. I could but it's a little too condemning. So I'll say it here since he'll never invite me back anyway. Okay. As a pastor, and your pastor is a pastor, the staff here pastors you, youth pastor and children's pastor. But as a pastor, if you're struggling in your, in your, your walk with God, let's say your marriage, if you're married, that'll drive us crazy as a pastor. We'll pray about it all the time, but I just want to be honest. It doesn't keep us up at night, but we just care about it. If you call us on the phone and you tell us you lost your job, that's a real hit. And um, we'll pray about that. We'll meet with you. Randy was telling me today about someone who is going through a difficult time. And Randy's just praying through this situation with him. Jason is like that. But it doesn't keep us up at night. 
If someone calls us and they go, man, one of my kids has fallen away from the Lord. That's such a painful thing to hear. We'll pray about that. We'll do whatever we can, but it doesn't keep us up at night. If someone says, man, I'm just losing my joy. What's going on? We'll pray about that. We'll give you some scripture. We love you, but it doesn't keep us up at night. But I'll tell you what keeps us up at night is the verse that I just read. The love of most growing cold. I'll tell you what keeps us up at night is wondering how many people who attend our church are going to go to hell someday. And I'm not speaking it to you like my Sunday school teacher did because she hated me. I don't hate you. I just want you to have a great day on judgment day. Can I have an amen? If you're having a bad day today, who cares? But did that day? It's like, how's your day going? Not good. Uh oh. <laughs> My dad, who's so funny, but he was, he was dying one time and I looked at him and said, dad, he was in the hospital. He's having trouble breathing. I said, dad, do you want to know when you're going to die? The clock was right above his bed. And he said, he said, no, I want to know where I'm going to die. Okay, dad, why do you want to know where you're going to die? He said, because if I knew where I was going to die, I would never go there. (laughs) So I asked him, dad, what do you want me to say at your funeral? He goes, I want you to say he's alive. (laughs) That's my dad. But I'm going to tell you where you're going to die. Because dad said, I'm never going to go wherever I'm going to die. I'm going to tell you where you're going to die is when you stop counting the cost every day and you cheapen it and you just try to slide in. Number three, the cost to love the church, to love Jesus, it doesn't try to negotiate. In the book of Revelation, it says that they were neither cold nor hot, but they were lukewarm. Cold nor hot, but lukewarm. Cold or hot. What? That doesn't even make sense because the next part of the verse says that Jesus said, he's, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth if, if you're lukewarm. If you're not cold or hot. It's like he's saying, I would prefer you to be cold than lukewarm. It's not like he's saying it. That's what he said. Why? I'll tell you why. Because when you're lukewarm, you are comfortable in the atmosphere, the temperature. When you're lukewarm, you're just comfortable where you are. But when you're cold, you're cold. I just left nine degree weather in Arkansas. You have an intense desire to be warm again. You're moving fast because you want to be warm again. And the Lord is trying to, I know we negotiate. I tried to negotiate two years ago. It was a lot going on during the pandemic. It's like the church got hit. I know Florida didn't experience that, but everybody else did. And it was like everyone in the church was trying to get out and everybody out the church was trying to get in. It's like, what is going on? And I turned to the Lord in prayer and then my wife on two different times. And I said, I'm quitting. I can't do this anymore. I've counted the cost. I paid my price. I'm quitting. And one day the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, Rick, you're just negotiating with me. Years ago, before I was a Christian, I hope you remember that part because you're going to hate this story if you don't. But I was in a place called Scotlandville, Louisiana, and there was a lady turning left in front of me and I got tired of waiting on her to turn. So I just went around her. 
She was waiting on peace in the Middle East. It's just not going to happen. So I went up on the shoulder to pass her. And as soon as I did, a cop across the way, very congested area, and he turned on his lights. Woo! I was like, God, I can't believe this. Can't believe I don't have time for this. Hope everything's okay. And while he's meandering around, I had an idea. Now remember, I wasn't a Christian. I had an idea. I'm going to get out of my car. Act like something's wrong with my car. So I got out of my car and I'm just, I got the hood up and I'm just looking. There's nothing wrong with my car. I'm just looking. And this big boy came around the side, country redneck type guy. And he goes, boy, what you doing? I said, sir, uh, thank you for stopping. I have a lot of respect for you to stop helping me because there was like this loud noise came out. It stopped now, but so kind for you to come and help me. He goes. He's chewing the back like that. He goes, boy, I know a lie. When I hear one, I know a lie right now. And I said, well, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and so he took, looked at me. He said, I can't write you a, chick, a ticket, but I know you're lying. I know it. So I'm going to get my car. I'm leaving, but I just want you to know I know you're lying. And I was like. <laughs> so he walks away and he turns around. And he looks at me and he goes, hey, just between you and I, you are lying, huh? Just between us. And I said, yes, sir. And he wrote me a stinking ticket. I hate that cop. And number four, I'm out of here. cost to love the church is authentically studied. You're going to have to take an honest look inward and bring that to the altar. You, you know, the best thing to bring to an altar is what is really going on. The early church, the Bible says they grew daily, but they also met with God and they met with one another. The Bible says that they, they met in the temple courts, celebration like this. And then they met in small groups. And the Bible says they did it with glad and sincere hearts. They're breaking bread, eating together. Come on, you got to have some red beans and rice to grow, right? And then the Bible says that they were real. Look, when is the last time I double dog dare you? It's an Arkansas term. In Arkansas, we speak banjo. How y'all doing in the now, 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 now over there? How you doing? <laughs> double dog dare you to go home, or better yet, do it at the altar tonight. And just let the Lord know what you're negotiating, the bargain you're looking for, a stronghold that has moved into your life. This is huge. The saddest verse in the Bible to me is Samson. He, he was set apart, but he started compromising here and there, just with Delilah, he's cheating. And the Bible says that in that night, Delilah cut his hair. And the Bible says, this is it. The Bible just aces this type of heart. And the Bible says when he saw the enemy trying to trap him, he went to shake himself like he always did. But he didn't know the power of God had left him. That can only happen when you're not being authentic.
And I'm thinking that God is trying to get you to just to look at him. Just that's what an altar. An altar is it's not just an altar, it's not just a religious term. Do you know what it means? It means that you you take what's been holding you and capturing you. And you bring it to the altar. It says, cast all of your cares upon me. That word cast is not like fishing. It's, it's a drop. Like you just take it to the altar and you drop it. And you say, I'm not picking that up anymore. I'm done with that. I'm going with God. Can I have an amen? Let's stand to our feet all around this room. Thanks for letting me speak. And that was 40 fast minutes. We went through the word, but let's bow our heads, trying to be led by the Spirit of God. All around this room, I just want to ask you just to be honest. First thing I'd like to to know is how many of you, you know you're not at the peak of your relationship with God right now? You may still be strong. You might be a leader in this church. But you know that you're not at the peak. You lost your edge somewhere along the way. Would you be honest and lift up your hands? Okay. All of you, just get out of your seat and come down to the altar. We're going to pray, and you're going to be set free. Come on, just leave your seats right now. Start moving this way, every one of you, even if you're trapped in the center of an aisle. The Bible says you draw close to him, and he draws close to you. Keep moving forward and to the side because people are behind you. And this is... So we're going to sing a worship song. And what I want to ask you all to do, because the Bible says when you worship God and you lift up your hands, you do it without, without doubt and you do it without frustration. And it's really not lifting hands as much as it is opening your hands and your heart to the Lord. Would you do that right now? I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, we'll start this song. Spirit of God, fall fresh on these people here. Some of them were trying to worship you earlier, but they just kept thinking about this this rerun in their life. This another lap without you, the vibration. They love you, they miss you, but they're not walking right next to you. Lord, I ask that you move in their life. I pray, Lord, that even during this song, you're gonna start melting their hearts one by one. You're gonna start showing them things that they can go home and work on. Lord, you're gonna give them hope and they're gonna have confidence, not confidence in who they are, but confidence that you picked them. I thank you, Lord, that they're gonna fall in love with you so much, they're gonna love you more than sin. Because that's what you're doing right now. We wanna watch. We don't wanna know when. We wanna watch. You didn't even tell us when. We just wanna watch. I thank you, Lord God. You're going to set people free as we sing together. Let's worship together.